My guest today is Kyle Patterson. Kyle is the Public Information Officer for Rocky Mountain National Park. Today we talk about the history of the park and all the fun activities that you can do while visiting Rocky Mountain National Park. So sit back and enjoy. Hi, Gaylene. I'm doing great. It's great to see you. You as well. Oh, I was so happy that this worked out because Rocky Mountain National Park is so dear to my heart. It's one of my favorites. That's wonderful, Gaylene. I know it is near and dear to your heart for, for lots of years. And think about Rocky Mountain National Park, how long it's been around. 107 years this year, which is amazing. I think we both remember well when the park was celebrating its centennial. That was seven years ago. Um, that uh, yeah, doesn't seem possible that it's already been seven years. Yeah, yeah, and so you know, Rock is one of the oldest national parks, and and I have talked about how things are changing in some ways, and how some things stay the same, but you know, the reasons that people come to Rock Mountain National Park are the same now as they were fifty years ago, seventy-five years ago. So that's that's heartwarming, I think, to you know, to me, to realize that people are still coming to enjoy the scenic grandeur and watch the wildlife and and um, amazing recreational opportunities. No matter how much our world changes, no matter how much technology throws at us, those are still the top reasons why people love this place. Absolutely. Well, tell me a little bit about the history of Rocky Mountain National Park and what makes it such a unique park in the park system? So, you know, Rocky Mountain National Park, when you think about the people that had the foresight 107 plus years ago, right? Because they had to they had to fight for it for a number of years before it was actually established. But when you think about those individuals who really said, we need to protect this place for perpetuity, and, you know, Rocky Mountain National Park was established as a national park a year before the National Park Service was established as an agency. So just all those people, you think about, again, what's changed in our lifetimes, but for them to say, you know, what's going to happen to this place if we don't preserve and protect this as a national park or, you know, some other type of public land to protect this for generations to come. And then you also think, too, that that time, tourism was really big in this area, and mining was certainly big a little before the tourism, and, and we're probably really fortunate, Aileen, that they did not have very successful mining in what we now know as Rocky Mountain National Park, because if that would have been successful, we may not have been talking about Rocky Mountain National Park as we are today. Right. Um, but, you know, certainly when the mining wasn't as successful here, as it maybe was in other parts of Colorado, obviously. And then you started to connect at that time with people that were truly, isn't this ironic, that we continue to see this decade after decade, coming to public lands, coming to nature, coming to wilderness areas for their well-being, physical and mental well-being. And so you think of people that had, you know, like Echo Stanley and people like that who had health, significant health issues that brought them to the mountains, that brought them to high elevation areas from concentrated cities, you know, where they were trying to had actually need to go to cleaner air. We just didn't 
have that back at that time, particularly in very high concentrated cities. So a lot of these people that established Rocky Mountain National Park were doing it for physical and mental well-being of whether it was adults or children, connecting children to environmental education. It just, you know, just propel it forward years and we're still doing that today. But all of that tourism was already starting in the early 1900s in this area. And so preserving Rocky Mountain National Park as a national park certainly was in everyone's, I shouldn't say everyone's, in most people's best interest at that time. And so thank goodness that the stars were in alignment at that time that those people pushed that forward to create Rocky Mountain National Park 107 years ago. And we're all still enjoying it today. And I think, too, we often close our eyes and think about what this place would look like if that had not happened. I think about that every time at Farview, look down on the Kawanichi Valley and think, what would this be like if it was just condos or yeah. something? It would be yeah. awful. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. And then when you mentioned, you know, looking down in the Kawanichi Valley, when you think of, you know, the critical headwaters that Rocky Mountain National Park protects and you know, significant headwaters. Obviously, it's the headwaters of the Colorado River, headwaters of the Big Thompson, headwaters of the Poudre River. We, we know how important that snowpack is that we see up on the mountains for, for all of us that, that live and recreate around this area. So you're right. You look down at Parview and you see lots of thoughts go through your head, whether it's protecting that, that ecosystem and habitat and then just the critical aspect of water in a place like Rocky. But I keep forgetting because I always focus on the western entrance to Rocky Mountain National Park, which borders Grand Lake. And so I always think about the Colorado. So I forget about the other two rivers. Yeah, so ab- absolutely. When you when you realize just how connected we all are, and then you think about the Continental Divide that runs through the park. It's pretty cool. It's one of our most photographed areas of the park is in front of that sign at Milner Pass, a name that you know yeah. well. That's <laughs> like water flows, the Pacific water flows to the Atlantic. And so it's a great think when we we were working on vault toilets up there this past fall and we had to cover the sign so that people would not go into the construction site to take a picture in front of that sign <laughs> because people are so enamored by the concept of the continental divide usually depending on what part of the country they're visiting here from you said just to kind of be like whoa pretty fascinating you think of just the continental divide and where the water flows depending on what side of the divide you're on Absolutely. We're kind of wrapping up winter, which is hard to believe. We're really not yeah. ramping up winter yeah. in March. But <laughs> I know, but the days are getting longer. They so are. It feels, it feels more spring-like. I love that. So what are some of the last minute activities that the park is offering this winter? Yeah. So I think, you know, what, what you and I both love about Rocky is the seasons, the, the diversity of the seasons. So it will be interesting to see what Mother Nature has in store for us the next couple of months. We know that March and April can be our snowiest month. So your activities in the park will vary greatly depending on what you want to do and what the snow does for, for the park. So depending on what side of the park you are on, we've been really fortunate with our snowpack this year. I think that's we're all very grateful for that. And so, you know, certainly great opportunities for snowshoeing. We have, it's been really exciting to, to reboot our snowshoe walks on the west side of the park. So those are always really popular. We hold those Saturday and Sunday. So those will be wrapping up mid-March. And we think that will depend on kind of the conditions as far as the last 
the last weekend. So we'll be happy to share with you when those wrap up. But just because our snowshoe programs wrap up doesn't mean that there's still not great opportunities for people to go out on their own to snowshoe in the park. And there's wonderful places in the Kalamachi Valley and on the west side, depending upon your skill and your interest, as far as whether you just want to be snowshoeing or cross-country skiing on flat surfaces, you know, in, in the Kalamachi Valley, or whether you want to climb a little bit. There's a variety of uh, spots that you can do that as well. Certainly, when you're exploring out into the backcountry and the wilderness areas, you've seen a lot of avalanche activity in Colorado this year. And so, depending upon what route you take, we always just encourage people, if they're out there on their own, to continue to be really knowledgeable about avalanche areas and be you know, educated. Make sure your whole group is aware and that you have the proper equipment and how to use it. And so you're certainly continuing to have adventures in the winter on the west side is, is an amazing part of Rocky Mountain National Park to enjoy the park throughout all the seasons. And like you mentioned, we still have maybe a little bit of winter, but we'll be adjusting here soon. And, and we might see some more mud here by April and early May, but there's still a lot of snow enjoy and recreate in as well. Perfect. That leads me into summer. Let's talk about some of the changes that the park has made since COVID. And we've seen such an increase in visitation. So you've installed an entrance uh, pass season. So how does that work? And why is it important? Yeah, so we have seen a dramatic increase in visitation at Rocky Mountain National Park, really starting in 2012 through 2019. We saw about a 44% increase in visitation. So about a million and a half more visitors coming to the park. So in 2016 to 2019, we continued to really try to manage these highly congested areas and concentrated areas, places like Fairlake Road on the east side, Wild Basin, and then up in Visitor Center up top on Trailhead Road. And we just continued to realize that we needed to look at this holistically because when we push that use elsewhere, you know, we talk about it as kind of being like picture uh, a latex glove that you blow up and you start to squeeze the, the pinky and the ring finger and then you just keep pushing that use elsewhere. So we realized that we needed to continue to look at this holistically. And unfortunately, with this rise in visitation, We've seen, you know, impacts to our cultural and natural resources. You know, what can our operational capacity take? We're concerned about visitor and safety and then the overall visitor experience with that level of visitation. So 2020, we started piloting some more overall time entry because really our main focus, Gaylene, is to spread use out throughout the day and throughout the park because we've got years and years of data that continues to show that we have this major push of visitation between 10 and 2. And so if we could work at spreading it out throughout the day, it would help all of those things that I just mentioned and hopefully also enhance visitor experience. So rather than visitors just driving around, driving around, driving around, trying to find a parking spot in one of the halas up on Trailer Road, it allows us to kind of take more advantage of our existing infrastructure and spread that use out throughout the building throughout the park. So we've done different pilots since 2020. And feeling this is kind of parallel and in tandem with long-range visitor use management. So 
we know and, and we don't want to continue to do pilot after pilot. We want to really learn from these pilots and then move forward with some kind of an adaptable visitor use management program. And so this is the fourth year of our piloted system. And each year, we've learned, we've tweaked a little bit, we've looked at the data. So this coming summer will look a little bit different. And May 26th, so the Friday of Memorial Day weekend through October 22nd, we will have a pilot time entry permit system in place. This is about uh, 11 days longer than we had last year. Last October, Bailene was our busiest October on record in Rocky Mountain National Park. So we saw like a 30 plus percent increase in October wow. of last year. If you'll remember, October weather was glorious this last year. So. Yeah. And then we also know there was people coming in after the time entry permit system too. And Eileen, when you look at the data, literally the day after we ended time entry last year, it went right back to that 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. huge spike, congestion, crowding, upset visitors, no parking spaces available. So it was like, wow, people go right back to their right back to their behavior. So um, and it's yeah, so so we are expanding it to October 22nd, and then the Bear Lake Road corridor time entry permit is the same time frame, 5 a.m. to 6 p.m. And then we're shrinking down our rest of the park a little bit more. So for folks that are mainly traveling and visiting the west side of the park, that is from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. Oh, okay. So last year and the year before, we did it till 3 but we're looking at the data and we do see that we've got a lot of people you know, starting to exit the park around 2.30 or 3. So we think we're going to, again, explore this 2 to 3 and see if we can make that window a little bit more narrow. So it will be 9 to 3 for the rest of the park. So what that means is starting on May 1st, people can go on recreation.gov. And book a time entry permit reservation system. We encourage people to plan ahead as best they can. There is last minute availability the night before at 5 p.m. And that's going to be about 40%. We're increasing the percentage a little bit of that night before. So hopefully we can continue to help those who are traveling or planning last minute. But, you know, you have a better, better chance if you can plan ahead um, as much in advance as possible. So it's a rolling reservation system, Gaylene. So starting on May 1st, you can book for the end of May through June. Starting on June 1st, you can book July. Starting on July 1st, you book August. August 1st, you book September. September 1st, you book October. So if you can plan ahead and do it then, that's great. But if you can't, then try for that 40% that's released at 5 p.m. night before. We, this is all through recreation.gov. It's a $2 processing fee. And, and then also, obviously, people need an entrance pass too. So they can purchase that online or they can come through our interest gates and purchase that um, entrance pass. And that's either, as you know, $30 per day or $35 per week. And all of this is per vehicle. So if you're getting a $2 time entry permit system, it's not per person. If you and a friend or coming into the park, it's per vehicle. Okay. I actually really try to promote people to get the all park pass. That's great. Yeah. That's great. So it gives you more, certainly more flexibility. And we do have people that go into Bear Lake prior to five and after six, 
But, you know, that's a much bigger window. And that's because that area is so congested that we really have to expand it there. But we feel that the rest of the park has a little more wiggle room. People spread out a little bit more. And, you know, so we continue to think through that. So the rest of the park permit certainly gives you more options. But if you know for sure you're not interested in the Bear Lake Road corridor, then usually there's more availability in the rest of the park permits. Perfect. As we were talking earlier, like, oh, I kind of don't like this time entrance, but I really do understand. And and I think it's good for the wildlife. Exactly. I mean, I think that it is tough, as you and I have talked about. I mean, just it does impact people's spontaneous visits into the park. And we, we honor that. We understand that. We realize that particularly for folks that regularly visit Rocky or live on the doorstep of Rocky, that does impact their visit. We do hope, though, that residents can take advantage of their proximity and it's doable for them to get into the park before nine or after two for a, you know, for a, an evening experience in the park as well. And you just don't have that level of congestion and concentration that we did previously where, where you mentioned, Gingling, it does impact resources. It does impact wildlife and their movement. Even yeah. if it's, you think about when you've got that level of traffic that we used to have, and you just have wildlife that are just trying to, to cross a road or just trying to move and migrate through the park, it definitely impacts their, their ability to do that. And now that we spread it out more, it's certainly, you know, helping that where you don't have that same level of traffic jams. You know, you certainly have places which we both experience where the wildlife are right along the road and you're still going to have a lot of people that stop, but you just don't have the quantities when you're able to spread these out throughout the park. And then also we hope that when you spread people out through the park, folks can pull over in legitimate places, pull-offs and parking areas instead of just stopping in the middle of the road um, and, and blocking wildlife further. Like, okay, you're giving me no way to move here. You're surrounding me. So right. that's certainly something that we're looking at. And you and I could talk at length about some of the research that we've done the last couple of years that are really showing some of the other resource impacts that this level of irritation, whether it's human waste, social trailing, denuded vegetation, all of that is certainly impacting the resources negatively as well. We had talked earlier about just the education. I think some people just don't know what is proper etiquette. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, as we talked about this when we started our conversation, you know, the importance of public lands and national parks for people's, you know, well-being, whether that's mental or physical. And certainly with some of the things we've all experienced with pandemics and fires, you know, people need respites. And, and so we're seeing this whole new wave of park visitors and as Colorado's population has been growing for a number of years. A lot of people are coming to Colorado because they want to recreate because they, you know, the mountains draw them or the, the plains draw them and they want to experience that. And that's what drew them here. So we're continuing to see this new wave of visitors that, that are wanting to do the right thing, but they just never have really either learned it or it hasn't been part of their growing up. And so those are the people that when, when people ask, do you think people are behaving worse? It's like, well, it's just more people. So when you think of that same percentage, we all might see it more in on the trails, 
And so how do we capture the people that are like, hey, I don't, I didn't know that the tundra was so fragile. I didn't know how critical it was for me to stay on an established trail rather than step on these fragile plants that took decades to grow a root system. It's like, how do we continue to reach out to these visitors who want to know how to behave and how they can be part of the solution to be great stewards of Rocky Mountain National Park? And so we've been really fortunate to partner with a lot of folks, including you and tourism organizations, to really help do Rocky Mountain National Park right, do Colorado right. You know, here are things you can do to leave no trace. Here are ways you can recreate responsibly. Here are things you can do to leave this place better than you found it. And so we all can continue to work together to partner. And everybody has, everybody can play a role in that, whether you're hiking with somebody who really hasn't experienced that before. And it's a great opportunity to share with them, hey, get back on the trail because the more of us that spread out, the more braiding that's going to happen and the more erosion. And people are like, oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. And you were nice about it. So now I'm going to stay on the trail. Yeah, so true. I think too, the park does such a great job of some of the ranger programs that you guys offer and the junior ranger program, like getting those kids interested and knowledgeable early on is key. It really is. And you know, it's it's really neat to see too, Gaylene, when we have a lot of our environmental education programs and our awesome rangers that do that. They connect with those kids through either programs, you know, through schools or field trips or like you said with junior ranger programs. And then oftentimes it's the it's the kids that then share that with their parents or with their grandparents. And and then you have this great opportunity to engage other family members, maybe older family members, and older family members are learning as well, or they see how important it is for their kid because the young person in their life was like, hey, this is what I learned. And so they become the teacher too to other people, to other family members, which is really neat to see. And especially we see that in maybe some of the underserved visitors in population that it might not have been part of their upbringing to enjoy public lands as much or national parks. And so we oftentimes see kids that we connect through environmental education or field trips then bring their parents and grandparents up, you know, because they want to share what they saw and learned with their with other family members. So that's oftentimes really cool to see it kind of flips, it kind of reverses. The kids then draw their older relatives into the into the mix, which is cool. That is neat. Well, Kyle, this has been just fascinating. We need to get you on again and I think even <laughs> talk about some of that research. I'm so fascinated by research. Yeah, uh, we would love to, Gaylene. If, if um, not me, I can certainly, we can invite some of uh, my great colleagues who coordinate a lot of the research in the park. It's it's fascinating. We have the Continental Divide Research Learning Center, and so they we provide over 100 research permits a year. So the sky's the limit on wow. some of the things we can talk about. Oh, absolutely. Well, I so appreciate your time. I know you're a busy lady, and so I appreciate you taking the time out today to, to chat with me. Absolutely, Gailene. Thanks for your interest and and your support of Rocky. You bet.